Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And uh, the title of my message today is a natural way to start family month, obviously. I got to get away from these people. I got to get away from these people. And some of you are like, this isn't how I thought this was going to begin. And yet I resonate deeply. <laughs> um, a, a little bit ago, um, well, first I'll just start here. I, I do uh, have uh, a family of my own. And um, this, is my, this is what my family looks like, in case you've never seen them before. Um, my wife, Gretchen, she's the other adult, just in case you're like wondering, which one? Um, and then these are our three kids. Tegan uh, is our daughter um, in the, the cute little like overall acid wash onesie there. And then um, Cohen is the one who was just like, I do my hair for no one. Uh, I will be wearing a hat today like every day. And then Zeke is the one in the front. And uh, these are, this is my family. And I, I love these people. And um, I love being with them. And I also love being without them. Uh, <laughs> I love... Both things, and uh, in fact, I uh, was last weekend. Uh, I went to Arizona. One of my really close friends had passed away, and his his wife asked me to do his funeral. And so I went there and uh, did the funeral, and and got to catch up with so many people. And I'll tell you, like the 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 service itself, and some of the things like around it were heavy because of how much I loved these people and still do. Uh, but the alone time was blissful. I gotta tell you guys, it was magnificent. Just being like flying, you know, by myself, uh, watching whatever I want to um, on my phone and then getting there and checking in, being in a hotel room all by myself, eating whatever I want to without consulting anyone else. It was glorious. Sleeping in, no one, I mean, we're in a stage of life where with our kids, like we are constantly running them places, going places. There's activities almost every night of the week. There's always somebody who needs something from me, and it is terribly inconvenient um, for the independent life I thought I was going to be living, right? And my wife's like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, this is exactly how I planned it, right? And uh, she's trapped me. She's locked me down, and it, it's working, you know? And I love it. I love it, but it's also, it's a lot. It's a lot, right? And it was nice just to have a, a season, a little, a couple days, right? Even where the thing that I was doing wasn't like something I'm like, yay, a funeral. You know what I mean? Like, but like, I was, I was I like, I, I had a few days where I didn't have to help anybody with homework. I didn't have to drive anybody anywhere. I didn't have to break up anybody's fights, right? I, I didn't have to do any of this stuff that uh, really can sometimes weigh on my life and, and wear me out. And, uh, you know, one of the nights... Uh, one of my my kids called and 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 was talking to me and and just full disclosure of like what was happening. My my son calls me and he says, "Dad, um, you know, you doing okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay." And he's like, "Are you just um, sitting there alone, sad, you know, missing us?" And again, if you were to look at a security camera of me in my room, which you don't want to, I was just laying there in my underwear, you know what I mean? Just relaxed. I was eating takeout. I was watching a movie. Uh, I was having a great time. And he asked me, like, are you sitting there being sad, just missing us? And I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's exactly, I can't wait to get home. Oh, well, I better, I better go and 
just finished crying, and uh, he got off the phone, and, and I was like, well, this pizza isn't going to finish itself, <laughs> and I, you know, got back to business, you know what I mean? And I was sad, I did miss them a little bit, but you know, it's just like, it was also great. And maybe some of you are in a totally different season of life and you have like a, an inverted version of this experience where um, maybe you are, you know, in a season where you don't live near your folks or you don't live near your kids and you have these moments where you get to fly or drive or be near them for a few days and you're really excited and then you get there and like 12 hours into it, you're like, I gotta get out of here, I gotta... This is not, wow, I, I, like you couldn't wait to be with them. And then as soon as you're there, you're like, I can't wait to get away from them, right? It's weird. It's weird because we all have moments like this where, you know, when it comes to our family, we think like, I love them and I also kind of want to get away from them. <laughs> and that is sort of this confusing tension that we all carry within us. That's the tension of family. Um, family forces us to face our conflicting desires for both autonomy and community, we want both of these things. Like, I, I want to be a part of these people and feel like I belong to them, and I also kind of just want to do whatever I want to do. And it's a paradox, right? It's a paradox. It's this sort of balance beam that we walk on when we're trying to live a family life, and it's hard to get it right. I wonder if you have ever found yourself thinking when it comes to your family, like, man, I want to be supported and accepted by all of these people, but I also don't want to be limited by or obligated to them at the same time. Maybe you found yourself thinking like, man, I, I love and I want to be with you. I just don't want to compromise with or be inconvenienced by you. And the truth of the matter is, these sorts of moments that we have, uh, you are not the only one who has them. We all have them constantly. And there's a tremendous amount of guilt that comes with them because we feel like maybe if we were better people or better Christians, uh, if we cared more, if we were kinder, if we were more loving, if we were more like Jesus, we wouldn't have these conflicting feelings bouncing around inside of us. But this is what it is to be human. And everyone in this room feels this way from time to time. Like, welcome to the human race. And I think we think these things for a variety of reasons. A lot of it has to do with sort of the way we came up. And, and for some of us, our desire to sort of escape that and, and make something new for ourselves. Like some of us grew up in a family that controlled us but never encouraged us. And that's contributed a lot to these feelings. Like some of us grew up in a really critical or judgmental family where nothing you or anybody else did was right or correct. Some of us grew up with overly attentive and codependent parents, and they were just always there all the time doing every little thing with us and for us. And, 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 and now we, we sort of don't know how to exist in the world on our own. We want to, but we really don't know how to. Some of us grew up with so few boundaries that even like healthy expectations in relationships sort of feel oppressive now because we feel like nobody should expect anything of us because we grew up in sort of an environment where I just sort of went wherever I wanted and did whatever I wanted. And, and now if you want anything from me, then like what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like um, I, you shouldn't have any say in, in my life. And, you know, a lot of us, I would say, probably have memories of our family 
coming up that we don't want to recreate. But it's like, man, when I have my own family, when I'm doing my own life, when I get old enough to make decisions about the way I want to be, I don't want to be like that. And I think it brings up this big question because of experiences that we've had and we are all so trapped in our own story that we wonder like, what, do, like, how does a healthy family work? Like, what does it look like? And part of the reason this is complicated to answer is it depends on who you ask. Like, um, first of all, there's sort of a divide between the East and West. This is a little bit what, of what I want to explore today. In the West, like our view of family is very much shaped by sort of two underlying beliefs. And these are so uh, integrated into the fabric of like our philosophy, our culture's philosophy of life that you don't even realize that this is a philosophy, just not the way that life is, right? And the first one is, you know, my own path, my preferences, my feelings and success are more important than my family, right? So if you guys want to get behind me and who I am and what I feel like doing, um, that's great, if you don't support everything I do and think at all times, I don't need you people. You're just trying to hold me down and hold me back, right? Um, because me as an individual is more important than us as a family. And the second sort of uh, underlying belief is that any relationship that imposes limits on me or costs me or inconveniences me is bad for me. So we can find ourselves in relationships where someone's like, well, this is what I would like from the relationship, right? Like, um, I, and this is like, maybe we should make a sort of some expectations together of what things are gonna look like together. Maybe we should not just build our family based on just everything that you want, but maybe there's some things that I want and some things that they want too. And, and, and maybe we're gonna have to make compromises in order to make the whole work together. And we're like, that's oppression, okay? I am not gonna put up with that. And so we resist it at all costs. And when we base our idea of family on these two sort of cultural ideals, uh, it gives us a very distinct impression of maybe what family is supposed to look like. In the East, it, there's a different sort of an idea of family. Like uh, family is priority, almost to a fault. Like in the East, uh, basically your value is essentially how much value and honor that you bring to the family or based on how much dishonor you bring to the family. And that can be a little bit skewed um, at times. Like there's also a lot of beautiful self-sacrifice that those people make for the sake of connectedness. Even today, if you go to the Middle or Far East, you'll see as, you know, not the exception, but the rule, like large multi-generational families around huge tables, feasting and laughing and storytelling. Everyone's interacting and engaging with one another. The older you are, the more revered and respected you are. And what is interesting is that up until about roughly like 150 years ago, everyone in all of the world pretty much had an Eastern view of family, uh, which is great, but it also had its drawbacks, right? Individual wants and needs were sometimes ignored because, you know, family's more important. So, you know, what you want and need and who you are maybe isn't that big of a deal. Individual people were hurt under the guise of sort of protecting or safeguarding the whole. And so those things aren't great. Those things maybe we don't want to recapture, but there are a lot of incredible things that we've abandoned about sort of an Eastern view of family that maybe are worth reclaiming. So when we look at, at both of these sort of like definitions or experiences from the East and the West, they both have maybe some positives and also 
some negatives. They're both like kind of right and also kind of wrong. And so how do we define family? And I want to give you just sort of a, a biblical definition of family to, to go from or to build from as we forge ahead in this series. Family is essentially at its core a multi-generational collection of unique individuals unified by love and a commitment to mutually serve, sacrifice for, and support each person in pursuit of what's best for them all. Now, I know this is sort of wordy and elaborate, but I want to make sure that it really is encompassing of what Scripture says a healthy family looks like. And and as we go throughout these weeks, we're going to sort of peel apart and dissect, like, what does this mean? And how do we do this where we currently live in, in our current culture, in our society? Now, the thing that I'm not going to tell you during this series is that you should try and make your family look exactly like the most amazing families all throughout Scripture. Because here's the reality. If you start looking at examples of family in the Bible, what you'll quickly notice is there's not one example of a perfect family in the Bible. In fact, most of them are way more jacked up than yours. So it's going to be fun as we go through this series and we're just uncovering stuff. We're like, look at this crazy family. These are God's chosen people. And they're way more messed up than me, right? You're going to feel great. But there's also some things we can learn from that. And, you know, one of the things that you'll notice quickly as you, if you did a survey of all the families in Scripture is that most of the stories are about broken families, about blended families, about adopted families, sometimes about accidental families. Like they weren't trying to be a family, but they just sort of were thrown together. And towards the end of their life, they're like, are we, are we family? I think we might be family. We didn't intend to, but it just sort of happened. And even those in Scripture who get it right, they do so eventually, not initially. They walk this sort of awkward path where they make a lot of mistakes, and then they eventually get to a place where they figure some things out. And I'm really glad that we have these examples, because it means that we don't have to make the same mistakes as our ancestors in order to grab hold of the lessons that they learned the hard way. We can learn vicariously, and that's what we're going to do during this series. And so today, we're going to start... Um, with a, a story of a family in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37, um, starting in verse two. And maybe you're somewhat familiar with this story, at least in, in one way or another. We're gonna look at this maybe through a lens that you've not thought about before. And it's the story of Jacob and, and also Joseph. And so this is how the story goes, at least at the beginning. Verse two, it says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He, he worked for his half-brothers. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Tattletale. His brother hated Joseph because their father loved Joseph more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. So here's what's interesting. We are like two sentences into this story, and what we've already realized is this family is a lot like yours completely dysfunctional from the get-go. Like, let me tell you a story about a family. And then they, they can't even get through the setup without just being like, these people are jacked up. Okay, these people are messed up. Like the dad plays favorites. The youngest brother, he's, he's good on one hand, but he's also like a tattletale. Like there's a lot of jealousy and envy and frustration and like sort of jockeying for position. These people are a little bit crazy, just like you. Genesis chapter 37, verse five says this. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. 
He told his father as well, and his father scolded. What kind of dream is that? This is interesting because Joseph has a dream, like uh, we sort of, those of us who, who believe that this, the Bible is sort of this divine book, believes that it's like a sort of a prophetic dream, like a picture of maybe the way life is going to go. But even if you strip that away from it and you view this as sort of a, a more of a human story, you still get the sense that like this kid has dreams about what his future is going to look like. Um, and these dreams annoy the family that he grew up in. Some of you are like, this is like my family. I too have dreams that annoy my family. But here's the thing. It's not just the dreams that annoy the family. It's the way he talked about them. And maybe some of you can relate to this. You're just like, I I think it's great that you have dreams. Maybe don't be so annoying when you're pitching them, when you're talking about them. Uh, The way that they kind of make you seem like condescending to the rest of us, like you're better than us. We don't like that. Even the dad is just like, well, that's an interesting dream. I don't really get it, but like, good for you. So this kid feels very misunderstood. Now, if we look at this story already through sort of a Western independent lens, the problem in this story that's brewing is the family, that they don't love and get this guy. If we look at this story through an Eastern collectivist sort of view or mindset, we would come to the conclusion that the problem that's brewing in the family is with Joseph. Again, the way you define family like sort of sheds light on what you gather or what you believe is the point of a story. And we might think here in the West, like, man, it's great that this kid has big dreams and he's going to rise above his family and he's going to be successful and he's going to prove to those doubters how amazing he really is. Good for him. He's got healthy self-esteem, okay? That pre-preschool really did him good. But ancient readers would listen to the story and they would think like, someone needs to put that brat in his place. Just FYI. I mean, nothing's more important than family. Who we are together is more important than what you go off and do alone. That's their paradigm. So there's some tension when we read these stories to really be able to mine from them what they're really saying to us. And here's why I bring this up. You know, the Old Testament, this may blow your mind, was not written by modern Americans, wasn't written from our cultural perspective. And if we don't understand the context from which scripture speaks about family, we won't understand the conclusions it makes about family. Because context is everything. Now, this isn't to say that like Joseph is the good guy and his brothers, you know, they're, they're like Joseph is the bad guy and his brothers are the good guys or even vice versa. Because the story really isn't about good guys and bad guys. It's just about like guys, This is about people. And every person in this story has moments where they place their feelings above their family. And they also have moments in which they place their family above their own feelings. They have moments in which they do an honorable thing and maybe a dishonorable thing. Moments in which they're completely selfless and moments in which they're a little bit selfish. The story goes on to say this. This kind of gets a little bit sour here. Genesis Chapter 37, starting verse 18, it says, when Joseph, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming one day, they made plans to kill him. So that's, that's rough. That's a little tough. <laughs> when he arrived, they ripped off his robe, which was nice, given to him by his dad, and they threw him into an empty cistern. It's like an old well, with nothing in it. Verse 27, it says, instead of hurting him, I got an idea, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, 
He is our own flesh and blood. We shouldn't kill him. And his brothers agreed. Let's not kill him. He's family. Let's sell him into slavery and make a little bit of money on the side, okay? Let's do the right thing here, guys, okay? And that's exactly what they do. They, they, they sell their brother to slave traders headed to Egypt. They, they're confident they're never going to see him again. And then they tell their father, Jacob, that Joseph was torn apart by wild animals. And they like sort of sprinkled blood on the, the robe that they ripped off of him and they showed it to their dad. And part of the reason why they do this is because they're convinced that they don't say this to their dad, that their family first father is going to make them look for their brother forever. And they don't want to have to do that. So like, if he's dead, there's no reason to look for him, right? I mean, he's got eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So there's no reason to go after him. He's he gone, you know what I mean? Like, and Joseph on his side, he's carted off to a foreign country and he's sold as a slave. And he does his best there to survive. Uh, but then there's early on, there's this misunderstanding between him and sort of a, a wealthy Egyptian and they side with her and they throw him into prison. I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a lot of downtime in prison, as it turns out. And I imagine Joseph just sort of sitting there in the dark, thinking about his family, wouldn't you? Thinking things like, man, I still can't believe they did this to me. This is so unfair. They never got me, they never liked me. I mean, do they, do they even still think about me? Do they just move on with their lives? I hope they feel guilty, is what I hope. I hope they can't sleep at night. I hope it makes them sick to their stomach. I hope I never see these people again. Also, I kind of hope I see them again, which I don't understand. Because they hurt me so bad that I just, I hate them so much. And I don't even want to think about them anymore, but I can't help it because I came from them and they're imprinted on me. And there's really no way to understand who I am without explaining a little bit of the way they were. And I wonder if you've ever felt like this. Had the same wrestling inside of yourself about the family you grew up in. And when we do this, like the conflict inside of us confuses us. And then it stirs up another self-conversation where we're like, why do I care so much about this? I don't want to. Why do I need their approval? Like, why do I want them to want me so bad? Why do I even care what they think? Okay, they think backwards. I don't even think like them. Why do I care what they think? Like, why do we feel so connected to our family even if we understand that they probably don't care about us anymore? Why does their voice still stick in our head even sometimes long after they're dead? Like your dad's been dead for 10 years, but you can still hear him yelling at you in your own mind? What is going on here? Why is it that we can't completely escape our family? And I think at a, at a core level, it's because we're designed to function in families. So much so that like, no matter how much you value your independence, when you're without one, you just want to get back in one. Maybe not the same one, but there's a drive to be a part of a family. And so if you lose or leave one, you look for and latch on to another one. And the longer you've gone without a family, the more you're willing to do almost anything to feel like you fit somewhere. I know you've seen this around you, but maybe you've seen this in you. That's why a lot of us 
have done and maybe are still doing things that we're not proud of just to belong. We'll compromise our character. We'll hurt ourselves and other people. We'll act against our own best interest. And sometimes what we're doing, we're like, this doesn't even make any sense, but I'm still doing it. And the reason that you are this way is because of this relational drive that exists within you. We are all way more relational than we are rational. We like to think we make decisions because it's the logical thing to do and we're like a thinking person. But in reality, much of what we do is like, I just wanna feel like I fit. I, I need a sense of family from somewhere, from someone. And belonging is such a big driver in our lives that we can't avoid it. And sometimes it hijacks our other plans. Our fundamental need for family is why smart people join gangs. Why they get roped into unenjoyable hobbies. Where you're like, why do you do that? And you're like, they're like, I don't even really like it, but I, you know, I do it. Why people stay in unhealthy jobs. Why, why people become susceptible to cults and con artists and abusive partners. And if you ever are to talk to people that are in a situation where you're like, why are you doing, it just seems so unwise. And, and when they're confronted with it, I think most people in these situations say pretty much the same thing. Like I know that there is an obvious downside to this situation and these people, but what pulled me in and what keeps me here, honestly, it feels like family. It feels like family. It's, it's so built into us that if you're in a, a space in life where no one feels like family, it becomes a problem for you. You become confused about the details of your own identity because you determine who you are based on the people that you are with, the people that love you and care about you and surround you. Now, we don't wanna believe this in our culture. We tell ourselves, no, 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 no. <laughs> identity doesn't come from family. Identity comes from achievement. That's where it really comes from. You are what you do. And in fact, this is such a part of our psyche. I wonder if you've ever noticed that like people who feel like they are failing relationally have this tendency to throw themselves into climbing the ladder vocationally. Well, this isn't working, so I'm gonna just go over here. I can win at this, so it doesn't matter that I'm kind of losing at this. It's so built into the way that we think about our lives. And Joseph, in his story, he had something that he was really good at this God-given skill that he had, and it elevated him to such a, a place of, out of the prison and into this place of power and honor and wealth. And again, if we look at his story from an individualist mindset, it's like he gets out of the prison and he becomes well-renowned and he has all this money and he can do whatever he wants to. And we can look at this thing and think to ourselves like, that's right, Joseph, you don't need a family. You can be successful all by yourself. But here's the reality. Financial success can't fill the void left by a fractured family. And you already know this. How many times have you seen this documentary? So many times where it's, it's become a cliche. Because what we already know is that there is nothing as meaningful as being embedded in a loving family. There's also nothing as painful as wounds inflicted on us by our family. 
It's complicated. In fact, even the most stable people can be sent spiraling by family trauma from the past. And this is exactly what happens to Joseph. Like in all the stories, like so many crazy things happen to Joseph. And the whole time, he always seems like he's so poised and like in tune and emotionally in control and confident. And he is this way almost all the time until he's like in his 40s, 50s, and his brothers show up again. And then he reverts back to childhood and he loses his mind. Interesting, right? This is what happens. Genesis chapter 42, verse three. Joseph's brothers went to Egypt to buy grain because there's like a famine going on. And since Joseph was in charge, it was to him that his brothers came. Joseph recognized them instantly. Isn't it weird how you never forget the face of the people who hurt you? But he pretended to be a stranger. And he spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. Your spies come to scout out our weaknesses and destroy us. I mean, obviously these people hurt him and he's like being triggered by his past with them. He's still got all this undealt with hurt, these unresolved situations that took place in their relationship when he was a kid. And so he has an opportunity. And so, yeah, he's gonna toy with them a little bit. Okay, guys, you can't fault him for that. They don't know it's him. He knows it's them. He messes with them. And uh, it goes on for a few chapters. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. He plays a lot of tricks on them. And then this thing happens. Genesis chapter 45, verse one. Eventually, Joseph could stand it no longer. He broke down and wept. I am Joseph, he said, and they were stunned. And I would think that the next line would be like, and I am gonna pay you back. Oh, remember what you did to me? Oh, now I'm in charge of my own torture chamber. I've been spending the last 30 years designing the perfect form of torture. We're going to go oldest to youngest, and you first. But instead, he says this, I will take care of you, for there's still five years of famine ahead. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. So interesting. Every time I read this again, like, especially I can't, we can't like sort of fully escape our Western mindset. I'm just like, this is so bizarre and interesting. It's so interesting that like they deeply hurt him, but he still wants to be accepted by them. Are you ever confused by the same impulse inside of you? Now I want to be clear. This isn't an invitation to put up with ongoing abuse. And I want you to hear that specifically. Like, that's not what's happening here. Joseph confronts these people who come to them and he tells them who he is and he reminds them of, of what happened between them and they repent and he forgives them for the past abuse that he suffered from them. And then they all decide together that they're gonna move forward in a new iteration of their relationship with new expectations and new boundaries. And this is exactly what happens moving forward. It is a powerful story of like this family being put back together. It says this in Genesis chapter 46, verse 29. Then Joseph traveled to meet his father, Jacob. And when he arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Chapter 47, verse 11 says that Joseph gave the best land of Egypt to his family and he settled them there. And here is what I want you to understand about this story overall. 
This isn't a Western story about the triumph of an individual. This is an Eastern story about the healing of a whole family. And this is why I wanted to begin the series in this place. Because I believe that if God can repair and restore this crazy family, after everything that they did to one another, that maybe there's hope for yours. This is the message that like, that God can put things that feel and seem irrevocably shattered and broken back together. In fact, it's his specialty. And you know what I think is most crazy about the story of Joseph? Despite all his success, it's not till this moment at the tail end of his story where he faces and embraces his family that his life finally begins to feel full, that he finds himself that he has this settled sense of who he is for the first time since he was sold into slavery. And this is not coincidental because all throughout scripture, God always frames individual identity in the context of family because God understands that figuring out who you are is rooted in finding a family you fit with. And he knows this about you because he made you. I grew up with um, four sisters. So if you're like, that explains a lot. There's a picture of my family at my oldest sister's wedding. I had two younger twin biological sisters and I have two older foster sisters, one of which we adopted. My oldest sister got married um, like a year and a half after she moved in with us. And I love this picture because it, doesn't it look like I'm trying to escape my mother's clutches. <laughs> like I'm just like, I don't really want to be a part of this family. Some of you are like, man, that little like funeral vacation you went on, that goes deep. That goes back a long way. I was this age, a couple years younger when my foster sisters came to live with us. And I didn't understand at the time, but they went through a lot before that moment. They suffered a lot of abuse and abandonment and violence, loneliness, the more I know about their stories, the more I realize they have a lot more in common with Joseph than anyone ought to. And the toll that it took on them, like spending so much of their life, like wandering through their existence without the support of a stable family was brutal. They suffered from eating disorders and emotional disorders. They did all sorts of self-destructive things to try and you know, find some small sense that they fit somewhere with someone. And both would tell you that it saved their lives when they found our family or maybe we found them or maybe God like was never confused about where any of us were and he just like put us together. And then I was still trying to escape the whole time. <laughs> and the reason they, they lived this chaotic life when they had no sense of family is because the drive for family is so deep that if you lose or leave one, you look for and latch on to another. And part of the reason is that a search for family is a search for self. If you ever find someone like searching for where they come from or who they belong with, they're not really searching for those people. They're searching for themselves. Who am I? Where do I fit? And this is so true that it's why Joseph felt lost 
when you didn't have a family. It's why we all feel lost when we feel like we are without family. And it's also why God prioritizes it. There's this beautiful psalm. It's a piece of poetry in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 67, verse 5. Listen to how it describes God. Our God is a father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. He places the lonely in families. There's no better descriptor of who God is or what God does. And he doesn't always go about it in really predictable ways. Like God uses methodology, methodology to do this that is as unique as the situations and people he's doing it for. Like sometimes he heals the family that we came from and he puts us back in it and we're a part of that ongoing healing. Sometimes God inspires other people to adopt us, invite us into their family. And sometimes they do this legally, right? Not that the inverse is not illegally, but like figuratively, right? There's like, there's maybe that family in your life that is always inviting you over and they're like feeding you and then they send food home with you and they're encouraging you and trying to convince you that you belong with them, that you're a part of them, that they really do love you. It's a form of adoption. And sometimes God empowers us to start our own family and to build that family on his values. Or sometimes you're really fortunate like my two foster sisters, Tammy and Heather, who God did all three for. He brought them into our family. They found a sense of stability and security. He allowed them to meet people who loved them and took care of them, people who honored God and loved God and because of it knew how to love them. They built their own families. One of my sisters, you know, had kids. The other one adopted three little boys of her own. And later on in life, when their parents got clean and sober, and it took years and decades, God joined them back with that family too and brought healing into that relationship because this is what God does. It all makes me think of one of my favorite Jesus quotes. He says this in John chapter 14, verse two. There's more than enough room in my father's home and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And Jesus is talking about heaven. And here's what I find so fascinating about this, why I keep coming back to it. Out of all the metaphors that exist and Jesus has access to all of them, he chooses to describe heaven as a healthy home. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' best description of heaven is a family to belong to. People who lovingly prepare a place specifically for you to rest and thrive and feel safe and known and wanted and supported. In other words, a healthy home is a preview of heaven. Elsewhere, Jesus prays this. He says, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the question I wanna just pose to you. Do your family dynamics bring heaven to earth? 
Is that what you're doing? Do you see that as your job, as the role, as the power of that place? I wonder if you've ever prayed like your kingdom come, your will be done in my home, in my living room, in our minivan as it is in heaven. Like I get that you are quirky and weird and bizarre and you have like on days and off days, but overall, like when people spend time with your family, do they get this sense that they got a preview of heaven? Because there is this sense of loving, belonging, acceptance, being known for who you are, people sacrificing for each other, people listening to one another, people leaning into one another. I tell you, the inverse of this statement is also true. An unhealthy home often feels a lot like hell on earth. And this is why we set aside time to talk about family because there's a lot at stake. God's idea of how to expand both heaven and, and Satan's idea of how to expand hell are inverse of one another. It begins in the way we raise our families, the environments we create in our homes. I wonder if it's time to reconsider your idea of family. So here's your homework. No matter who you are, where you come from, what your family status is right now, ask yourself this. Which we am I prioritizing above me and is our dynamic healthy? Which we am I prioritizing above me and is our dynamic healthy? Because here's the thing. Uh, you are not meant to be this sort of like lone ranger out on your own. And even the lone ranger really wasn't alone. Let's just be real. Like, is there a we that you are prioritizing just above yourself? a bigger thing that God has placed you in that you are investing in. And sometimes you set yourself aside in order to prefer them. And if you're not doing that, you ought to be. And some of us are just like, I totally am doing that. The second question gets me a little bit. I don't know that our dynamic is healthy. And if you don't like your answer to either of these questions, what are you gonna do about it? That's the big question. And some of you are like, I, I don't know. And... That's why I think you need to be here the next four weeks because we're gonna tell you what to do to make that we dynamic as healthy as it possibly can be because your and others' identity is at stake. This may sound surprising, but all through scripture, what we learn about God is that his plan to save the world is to do it by making families healthy. And that's my prayer for you and yours. Would you bow your heads across this room so I can just pray this into your life today? God, thank you so much for the life that you give us, for the love that you impart to us. I, I, I thank you for the family that you've placed us in. For some of us, whew, man, it's... We love them, but we also kind of want to get, get away from them. Some of us want this more than others. Some of us have a lot more reason to want to escape than others. And God, I pray that this series and what you do in our hearts during this series would be the beginning of health and help and healing in our lives. 
Some of us have some deep wounds that we need you to speak to. Some of us, you, you were gonna repair and restore the family we came from, and right now that feels impossible. But with you, nothing is impossible. For some of us, we are going to find a new spiritual family, like people who embrace us and accept us, give us a sense of identity. They didn't give birth to us biologically, but we feel like we fit with them, and they're teaching us how to know who we really are in you. And because of that, it's going to change everything about us, how we see ourselves and how we relate moving forward. And God, for, for some of us, you were going to empower us. Like we've, we've been scared to start our own family, but during this series, you're going to begin to empower us to take that step of faith and believe that we can leave something behind better than what we inherited. When we lean into you and embrace your love and your way and love our family as you love us. God, may we open ourselves up to you. May we allow you to do work in us that only you can do. And may we agree to partner with you to do what you're asking us to do, to become healthy. God, may you help every family represented in here to heal to an extent where it becomes a preview of heaven. When the members settle into it, they have this sense, yeah, 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 yeah. This is what it's going to be like. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.